Hello, welcome to another episode of the Photographers Keeping It Real podcast. As this episode goes live, you only have four days left to enter round four of the PKAR Awards for 2023. This is our final round of awards for the year, and the winners, together with our Photographer of the Year and Top 10 lists, will be out at the start of December. Good luck to everyone who is entering. On this episode, I welcome the lovely Tom Bainon. Most of you will have heard of Tom. He's a wedding photographer who is very active within the documentary wedding photography community winning many awards from Photographers Keeping It Real, This Is Repertage, Fearless, and he was Nine Dots Photographer of the Year for 2022. It was great to chat to Tom about his journey into photography, knowing he wanted to shoot in a documentary style from the start. We look at can you really be unobtrusive on a wedding day, getting close, using prime lenses, and appealing to the right clients. Tom has also been a second shooter over 80 times this year for around 40 different photographers. So we talk about his experience of working with other photographers, his tips on getting into second shooting and standing out from the rest. We discuss how it helps with awards and with shooting and learning your style. We also talk about entering awards and Tom's top tips for awards. We look at the big wedding fair at the NEC and talk a bit about Tom's time exhibiting there. It's a long episode, but I, uh, I really hope you enjoy it. I think Tom had so many great insights into the industry and um, weddings and photography in general. So yeah, please um, give it a listen. Let me know what you think. If you are a PKAR member, I urge you to please listen to the members-only extended version of this one. Tom opens up about next year, about leads, marketing, the industry in general. Um, he's super honest, and um, it was just wonderful having this little section with him, to be honest. So, um, yeah, it's quite a long one, but um, I hope you can listen and enjoy that. I just want to thank Tom for his time on this one. Um, so, yeah, please just give it a listen. Uh, if you've got any questions, please let us know. Um, myself and Tom will both be at the Nine Dots Gathering next week. So, um, if you listen to this when it comes out... Um, then yeah, please, uh, you know, say hello if you see us and, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing anyone who's going to be there. Um, on a recent post in the Facebook group, I asked about feedback on anything PKAR related. One of Tom's things was that he hates the theme tune for the podcast. So for one time only as a favor to Tom, there's no intro and outro music to this episode. So let's just get straight into the show. Cool. So, Hey Tom, thanks for taking time out to be on the podcast, mate. I thought we'd jump in just a little bit. Do you want to just have a quick intro to yourself, a little bit of, you know, where you're based and a bit about how you got into photography? I'm based in Cambridgeshire. I got into photography quite late. I was 35 when I picked up a camera for the first time. Um, I was traveling for a year and I took a very simple camera with me. I think it's called a bridge camera, which is a bit like a small DSLR, but you kind of shoot it on auto. It had like landscape and architecture and portrait settings on it. Um, and very quickly, just got glued to that camera for the whole trip. The trip became about taking pictures with the camera. And I wasn't too interested when I was traveling about learning sort of like the craft of photography, about what apertures were and shutter speeds and all that kind of thing, because I was traveling and that was that was my priority. I was just enjoying the kind of taking time with the camera to sort of play with compositions and stuff like that. And when I got home, I went and brought a proper camera that you could use on manual and learn how to use that and then got kind of quite nerdy about cameras and how they work and all that kind of thing. And that just set me off on the direction which I've kind of headed in. I, originally, I didn't want to do anything like weddings or anything like that. I knew I'd got this newfound love for photography and I didn't know what I wanted to do with it, but I wanted to do something with it. And when I... Um, when I came back to the UK after traveling, I landed at Heathrow. And at the time, I wasn't living anywhere because all my stuff was in storage at my dad and stepmom's house. 
and my dad came to pick me up from Heathrow and we were in the car traveling back up towards Birmingham and I was talking about my trip and about getting into photography and he, and I said I think I want to be a photographer and get into photography I'm really enjoying this and he said oh that's great what kind of photography do you want to do and I said I don't know anything but weddings because <laughs> in my mind wedding photography was portraits and group shots and that that kind of traditional picture that everyone has of like couples standing staring at the camera and all those kind of group shots and stuff like that and I remembered the photography at my own wedding which I did not enjoy we spent 45 minutes during the drinks reception having portraits done and you know looking back at family wedding photos it's just all that kind of same stuff and I was like that's not really me I'm not much of a people person the idea of walking into a room full of strangers and having to make conversation with them is my idea of hell, frankly. Um, and of course, that's what we all do at the start of every <laughs> wedding. We walk into mm -hmm. a prep room full of strangers and we have to make conversation with them. Um, so I sort of instantly knew that anything people related, I probably wasn't interested in. Um, but what I discovered was when taking my camera out with me to events with family and friends, I really love taking people pictures um that were natural and I didn't know words like documentary or anything like that I can't remember how now but I kind of came to this idea that how can you how can you make money from being a people photographer and I remember again my own wedding photos which I didn't like because it was all too staged but there were some sort of you can't call them documentary they were sort of candid headshots of people and they were all the best ones of people smiling there's a really nice picture of my mum and dad um smiling and I sort of had this idea, maybe you could take that approach to wedding photography that wasn't to do with staged photos and it was just natural pictures. This would have been 2016. And I thought, I wonder if anyone else is doing anything like that. And so I went on to Google and typed in something like natural unposed wedding photography. And I'm typing it in thinking, Tom, you're a genius. This is a million dollar idea. No one's ever thought of this before. <laughs> and then you hit enter and then the computer melts because all the results come back. And by 2016, everyone is not only a wedding photographer, but everyone's a natural unposed wedding photographer. And I sort of looked at all the results coming back and I'm like, oh, this is, you know, obviously it's been done. But I looked through all the websites that were coming up and I thought, yeah, you all talk a good game about natural unposed photos, but all your pictures are portraits, all your pictures are group shots and, you know, dresses hanging from trees and all that kind of nonsense. Because like, that doesn't tie in with what I'm actually thinking in my own head. It took a while to find actual documentary wedding photographers. Um, and it made me realise that actually documentary wedding photography is still a niche. And although everyone talks about documentary wedding photography, most people are not documentary wedding photographers. It's just become a, like a buzzword that everyone uses to describe themselves, which I kind of understand. It's not what most people are doing. And and yeah, when so I came into the industry to be a documentary wedding photographer, I know a lot of people sort of end up photographing like a friend's wedding and then they end up in that sort of path where they photograph a few and then they sort of discover documentary along the way. But for me, I came in to the, to the industry to be a documentary wedding photographer. I've never shown a group shot or a detail shot on my website. It's always been moments and some kind of very like relaxed couple portraits, uh, which meant my website to start with was awful because <laughs> I was learning to be 
a wedding photographer and a photographer at the same time. I was, you know, still learning photography as I was going to weddings to to shoot weddings. So it was a very steep learning curve. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point, isn't it? Because I was like probably more traditional, like a lot of people where, like say, you just, I was already into photography. I started doing weddings and I just did them like everyone else. I kind of think, oh, oh this is just what people do. Like say, you know, you pose yep. moment to moment and you, you know, you use flash and do this and do that. And it was all much more like, I was just kind of a bit, wow, yeah, a lot more traditional. Bit, yeah, yeah I, I definitely went through a sort of growing pain stage where I felt like I had to conform a little bit. So I have done like a dress hanging up shot and I have sort of taken a couple outside in the evening to do like an off-camera flash, like backlit shot, that kind of classic thing, because I felt like I should be doing this kind of stuff. But I very quickly realised that I don't enjoy doing it. I'm not very good at it either. Um, if people want that, they should book someone else, because my my attempt at it is very, you know, very so-so, really. So it's good to just stick at what you're good at rather than just trying to trying to sort of morph into what everyone else is doing. And if you try and sort of generalize how you work, you're just going to get lost in the crowd a little bit. I think it's good to have a niche. I'm a big believer in Marmite and having people look at your stuff and go, Ugh, you know, what is that? Because for every reaction you get that way, you'll get the reaction the other way. I used to exhibit at the National Wedding Show at the NEC um, in Birmingham for a few years and I would see people walk past my stand with this really confused look on their face because like every wedding show it's oversubscribed with photographers and there'd be like 18 other photographers there and they would all have like portraits from group shots and all that kind of stuff and I deliberately didn't show any of that stuff I just put moments up and people would have this kind of confused look on their face of like well I can tell he's a photographer but I don't recognize those pictures as wedding pictures. And you can see the sort of confused look on their face. And I, I wouldn't even bother talking to them or trying to hand them a leaflet because I'm clearly not, I'm clearly not the photographer for you. Other people would walk past and go, oh my God, this is different. Like, or this is what we've been looking for and we've not seen it. There'd always be like a sense of like relief come across their face of, oh, you can actually have like natural pictures. You don't just have to have all these portraits and everything like that. And those people are my couples and I'd book them and I'd have a great time shooting their wedding rather than just going to a wedding where it's just, you know, general wedding photography. Yeah. I think it's, it's good because when you talk to, like say often, you know, you ask photographers for advice and a lot of the times they're like, the big one is always like, we'll show what you want to shoot. You know, it's a bit, it's not yeah. like, it's not brain surgery, but it seems like it's still a, a difficult yeah. step, isn't it? And even I went through it because I, yeah. when I found like say the more documentary purist style almost, and I, sort of started doing, you know, relating to that more and doing more. And it was a slow, you know, gradual thing. But, you know, I eventually got to the point where I was like, right, I'm going to get rid of like, yeah, pretty much all portraits and, and details and all that stuff off my site or stop turning on Instagram or whatever. It still still feels like a hard step or, you know, you change something and suddenly you don't take a booking for yeah. a couple of weeks. I'm like panicking, like, oh, no, I've made a massive mistake. Right? I'll just put yeah. something back on again. But you've kind of started knowing what you want to do and sticking pretty true to that that whole time, which is, so you kind of yeah, negated think... that already, which is nice. I understand why people are quite hesitant about that because when people walk past my stand and they look at my work and they, they go, Ugh, they're not going Ugh, at my work. They're going Ugh, at me. It's like, cause this is my idea of good photography. This is what this is. It's, you know, photography is a creative endeavor. And when we go and take pictures, this is how we see the world and how we want to represent is a part of, us in all of our pictures because that's how we see stuff 
you know, two photographers can go to the same wedding and you'd get two completely different looking set of wedding pictures because how they would see that day, even two documentary wedding photographers who would not interfere in any way in what's going on. If you could take one documentary wedding photographer, photograph a wedding and then like rewind time and go back to the start of that day, but just send a different documentary wedding photographer, those two sets of photos would look completely different. So you're putting yourself out there with documentary stuff. When you're putting out bland portraits and group shots that look like everyone else's bland group shots, uh, portraits and group shots, it's you're not really putting yourself out there. You're just kind of putting out standard stuff. So if people aren't really rejecting you or they're not really buying into you as well, it's the flip side of that because they just want something generic. Whereas when you put out the more unusual photos that says something more about you it's more of you you putting yourself out there and that's a really hard thing to do because people when people reject that they're rejecting you so i get why people are very hesitant about having more creative more unusual images and kind of hiding it in their portfolio thinking oh, i like it but i'll put it halfway down the page because i don't want everyone to kind of see that one first of all but actually that's the stuff you need to put up the front because People who, again, it's the Marmite effect. People who love that love you and are your clients. And it means you can go to weddings and just take the pictures you like taking because they've kind of brought into that. I am a big believer in shooting for yourself always. Um, I know that kind of thing comes up about shooting for yourself sometimes or shooting for the couple. But you have to shoot for yourself because if you're shooting for yourself, you are shooting for the couple if you've got the right couple because they're buying into you and to your vision so if you spend five minutes trying to make a photo work you've got permission from the couple to do that um whereas if you've sold yourself on more standard kind of group shots and portraits and kind of more candid pictures rather than documentary pictures because candid and documentary are not the same i know that gets confused a lot of the time you probably if you stood around for 10 minutes trying to make a shot work and nothing came of it your couple might think oh you just wasted 10 minutes not that they'd know you did that but if they did sure. they would be like oh you just wasted 10 minutes whereas my one of my couples if they saw me waste 10 minutes and not get anything i don't think they'd care because they would have understood there was a method behind what i was doing and actually if it had come off it would have been worthwhile and i've got permission to do that from the couple so it's very freeing on a wedding day because i can just see what i see and and spend time on it which is which is great, which is what we should, which is, you know, we all get into this because we've got a love of photography. And I think it's a shame to turn it into a business where you just turn up taking safe shots all the time because you're going to get quite bored just turning up taking the same shots at every wedding. I think you have to shoot for yourself, not only because your couples are brought into that, but because we all take safe shots. I take plenty of safe shots at weddings, but I don't get bored taking them because I'm also taking the more interesting stuff. So it kind of gets mixed up together as if all I ever did was take safe shots got to quit this industry by now because it would have been um, a bit tedious that makes a lot of sense it's good yeah really really good advice um what was the national wedding show stuff like like i there's some up here not as big but there's one at like the newcastle arena thing that they do and it's a similar idea right so it's like the booth and you know tons and like hundreds of of wedding suppliers a lot of photographers obviously things and they're quite relatively expensive to exhibit at i've always avoided them like i do wedding fairs they're like some and um you know, I'm all so I'm not against wedding fairs entirely and stuff, but like I do some venue open days, obviously, and I'll do a couple like the festival TP marquee companies when they put all them up in the field to showcase. And so some of them, and they do all right for me, but um, but yeah, I've never been to like a big one. I've always just thought, like, say, that the 
there's so many couples that won't be my type of couple in there. It's just going to be very hard to wade through to find the odd few that are. But I might be, don't know, I might be wrong. So I've never tried it. The thing with all wedding shows or wedding fairs is that everyone who goes there is looking for a deal of some kind. So we all know if you do like the budget ones at like the local like Holiday Inn where we all kind of start out, where people are really looking for a deal, like they're looking for a 500 quid wedding photographer. And I did those to start off with when I was brand new. And the the national wedding show is basically that, but on steroids. So everything's bigger, everything's more expensive. Like the the the, the standard of, I was going to say the standard of photography is better. That's not actually true. There's some local <laughs> photographers that you go to the national wedding show. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the but the general standard and price of everything is up from there, and the budgets that couples have is much higher. But they are still looking for a deal that is still one of the reasons they've gone there so you still most people have to have like a show offer like i've i tried the last show i did i tried just having a price and saying i'm not having a show deal this is my price and i had to start doing like an impromptu one because everyone was just like but what's your show offer like what do i get for you being here and i'm thinking this show cost me like three grand if anything i should be charging you more to be here (laughs) because it's costing me a lot you can kind of do well at those shows if you're a good people person and you're great at talking to people and you're great at sales then you can do very well do you know chris denner who's a member of nine dots yeah uh, he, i, I think, think his I, company's artisan x i think he calls himself i've seen him at a couple of those shows and he absolutely kills it because he's a really outgoing very chatty person he's a brilliant photographer and he's great at selling himself to couples just by talking very casually to them and having great photos and he's got great portraits he's also got great moments as well so he kind of crosses both of those kind of key areas and he absolutely kills it because it's just perfect for him and his personality type it doesn't really work for me because i don't really enjoy talking to strangers so Mm -hmm. i don't i don't sort of go and get people people can walk past my booth and i just let them go i like the people who come to me and then we get into a conversation and I always book people at those or have always booked people at those shows who are ideal clients I just didn't quite book enough I had one really great show in the spring of 2019 I think it was where I think I booked 15 weddings mostly for the following year and I was 1500 pounds including an album so and that's the kind of market that most people are in at that level is the kind of middle market but you've got to throw an album in there to kind of sweeten the deal a little bit and I I last went back in the March of 2021 2022 and I I barely booked anything because I was trying to be 1800 I thought I'm going up to 1800s and I'm not putting an album in or anything I'm just Mm. that's my price because my work's good enough I shouldn't have to offer you something I believe in my ability and this is a fair price point and it just didn't work because it was just a little bit too much. And then I had to offer everyone who did ask about a deal. I had to throw an album in, which then kind of technically brings you back down to that £1,500 level. So um, I won't be doing them again just because I feel like, firstly, it's not it's not really me selling myself to strangers, but it's just not quite the market I want to be in anymore. But for a time, when I was moving up from like the budget market into the middle market, there was a little sweet spot there where it really worked. But I think... Yeah, it's only really at that point in your career where it can really work for you. Yeah, that's good advice. And I think a yeah, lot of people say about advice. the 1500 price point and they have like, 
a lot of things where people talk about Facebook groups and about some of these other like hitched and things like that, where it seems to be sub 1500 seems to be like an okay place to to do that. And you start getting closer to two grand. It takes that way. And I know it's always different for everyone and you're right. Some people can talk their way around it and especially if they've got good work to back it up. And, but yeah, I think just standing behind your booth, kind of like handing the odd flyer out here and there and being quite quiet, which is similar to how I would be probably as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I I think as well, I'm probably, if I don't catch people, there and talk to them if i just hand them a leaflet or they just see my stuff and and leave i'm not that memorable whereas like chris is like he's tattooed and he's a punk rocker and he's very outgoing and he's memorable and his pictures are he's got a very bold very in your face edit and people will leave that show remembering chris and i think that's one reason why he does so well because he just stands out and he charges a bit more but people can kind of see the value in what he's doing whereas i think it was hard for me really to kind of get across the kind of the value in what i do so i just felt like my my ideal couples probably aren't really there yeah it makes sense like you say you booked a couple that were but then when you're paying like thousands mm. for a booth it becomes like you say yes. if you're paying 100 quid yeah. to be somewhere and you book one wedding wherever it's, it's not it's justifiable yeah. really whereas yeah like yeah you say, you're charging no, I, that money it's difficult i um i think at the the last one i did i think i booked three and I had to book two to break even. The first two just got me my my money back. That's all that I did. And so I'm, yeah. I've effectively made profit of one wedding, which is just ridiculous, really, for that kind of outlay. So uh, I won't do it again. I have to say as well, I think most people struggle at that show as well. Um, occasionally, I'll look in a Facebook group, a wedding photography Facebook group, and I'll see people talking about it. And they'll be like, oh, I tried it once and got nothing. So I think the fact that I was okay at it for a while is probably above the average of what people of people experience from that show yeah so to decorate those booths well as well and i was like you see yeah. people on facebook sometimes don't they say the picture of me like wow that's like it's like they've got some sort of professional interior designer and it's insane how good they are and you think my like yeah. table with two albums on and like pull up <laughs> banners not going to cut it at this level of like this kind yeah. of booth and that's yeah a big expense, I, I always isn't it? yeah i always deliberately went for a more minimalist look like because my website is is a white website effectively so the the white background with some pictures on it kind of worked because i just my feeling is the the, the photos should sell me because that's what i'm about i'm not about the branding mm-hmm. selling me whereas some people their branding is almost the thing you see first and you kind of see the pictures afterwards and then if you if you get sucked in by that branding if that's the kind of branding that appeals to you then it works but it kind of puts some people off but for me it's just like the picture should be up front you mentioned about being quite quiet in general like as a person are you mm. like how are you on a wedding day are you shooting relatively are you kind of like you say hello and then you know not sit back but you know like you're you're quite quiet or are you chatty or ha- I, like what do you think i initially the idea initially was to turn up and not say anything and be like i'm not here you will just carry on and i'll just i'll just get some photos and I found it quite uncomfortable very straight straight away. Just I'm, I'm in this room with a bunch of girls, women I don't know, who all know each other, who all feel comfortable around each other, who are all sitting there in their dressing gowns, having their hair and makeup done. So they're in a situation where random guys are not normally there with cameras taking pictures of them. And I'm just sitting there very quietly in the corner taking pictures like some kind of weird pervert. <laughs> and it just felt wrong. And I had an incident at like maybe 12th wedding, something like that. It was early 2017 where a bridesmaid took off her dressing gown in front of me 
and just basically exposed herself to me because she didn't know I was there because I was sat very quietly taking pictures and not saying anything. They'd forgotten I was in the room. And it wasn't a big issue because she's the kind of girl who was happy to take her dressing gown off in front of all the other girls that were in the room anyway. So, and because she was saying, oh, I'm going to put my dress on in the bathroom. And she sort of picked up her bridesmaid's dress and kind of took off her dressing gown at the same time. And I was just sort of stood there. And we had this kind of awkward moment. And it was fine. She was, she kind of laughed it off. But I'm like, this, that's not right. That shouldn't happen. Like, they, I shouldn't be in a position where they've forgotten I'm in the room because something's gone wrong there and I kind of realized I need to talk to people I need to I am here I am a part of the day this idea that I'm this kind of like ninja who you can't see is nonsense and at that point I stopped using the word unobtrusive on my website and I think that is a nonsense word for a photographer to use taking a picture of someone is an obtrusive thing to do you know when paparazzi photograph celebrities to a you know topless on their hotel balcony with a 600 mil lens they're not being unobtrusive just because they're really far away and the person can't see them like that's an obtrusive thing to do it doesn't matter how close you are to someone or anything like that like taking someone's picture is an obtrusive thing to do so be obtrusive and like you know we all know the best pictures are close up you know there's that whole thing about if your pictures aren't good enough you're not we you weren't close enough and I had a big problem in 2017 anyway, because this was my first sort of year doing it. I was on a 24 to 70 and I knew technically what I should be doing is getting in close because that's where all the good pictures were. But I was very apprehensive about doing that. So I would use the 24 70 and kind of zoom in and I would tell myself, oh, I'll step in with the 24 to 70 and go wide and then not do that at any point and then just zoom in. And, um, and so I realized I've got to talk when this, this incident happened. I thought I've got, I've got to talk in the room. I can't not be a part of it because I am here. I am taking pictures and I'm, you don't, you can talk to people without changing what's happening. So I make a point at the start of every bride prep when I go in of joining in whatever conversation is happening, which I find quite difficult to do because I really hate that kind of forced social engagement i just hate it i really do i've got other phobias like deep water and spiders and enclosed spaces and i would rather tackle any of those than walk into a room full of strangers and have to make friends with them but you have to do that you have to go in and talk to them and some rooms it's easier to do it in than others depending on how well you gel as we all know some couples you gel with and you have like a friendship with them and some people it's a bit more awkward but you just have to kind of get over that and i make a point of trying to go around and like say hello to every individual bridesmaid and say I'm Tom I'm going to be taking pictures and all that kind of stuff and I found that's helped that I can kind of join in conversation a bit more but I'm not very good at it still it's just not it's not me I'm not that kind of chatty outgoing type of wedding photographer who's everyone's best friend and has to say goodbye to everyone at the end of the night because you know we're all best friends on Facebook kind of thing that's just not who I am so it's just finding that happy balance where I can be personable with people, but still kind of morph into the background. And I, I will get this at the end of the night. Often when I'm saying goodbye to the couple, I will get people saying to me, I haven't really noticed you being here. And they mean it in a nice way. Like, this is what we wanted from our photographer. We wanted to not really notice what you were doing. And I always feel like I'm glad when people say that because I've, I've kind of got the balance right between talking to people and 
and still kind of getting on with the job. It is tricky, you're right, because like you say, some people are just more comfortable around strangers anyway. Like, you know, even like say some bridesmaids yeah. and stuff, if you say you get into rooms, some of them you can tell are just not bothered. Some are more wary of you and there's always that initial yeah. interaction. I always just like to talk to people about it because yeah. I think it's interesting if people different, like say, people's different approaches, especially with documentaries. Some people like, say, like to be much more quiet. Some people are more involved and it's just interesting to see that. But um, yeah, that's cool. Cool. What lens What lens are you using? Just right, like, we don't want to talk loads about gear, but generally, but I know you mentioned you, you started on 24 to 70. Have you like changed yeah. involved from that then? I knew, as I said, I knew I should be getting in close and the 24 to 70 was this like, it's it's like the excuse lens. Like, oh, I'll just zoom in. I won't get in close. I won't ruin that moment by stepping over there. And I did buy a 35 mil lens and I didn't really get on with it. I did a day's um, a one-to-one training with David Stubbs in about the September of 2017, which I wish I'd done at the start of 2017 because I saw that he had the training thing. David was one of the first photographers whose work I saw that actually was he was doing what I was trying to do in my mind when I first thought about doing wedding photography in a different way. Um, and I did his SEO course at the start of 2017, and I knew he did mentoring and one-to-one stuff and I thought oh I should probably do that and then didn't and spent the whole of 2017 taking really rubbish pictures and then did a one-to-one with him at his house um it was just a day thing I didn't like do a mentoring thing it was just Mm -hmm. a one-day thing and he went through my work and we were talking about documentary and his approach and all that kind of thing and coincidentally the next day he was shooting a wedding in the Lake District and he said if you want you can just come with me to tomorrow's wedding I hadn't paid for that. I'd paid for a one-day mentorship. And he's just like, it's only a small wedding. I think there was like 30 guests or something like that. You can come with me if you know I had to stay over an extra night in a hotel. But and I had to go to that morning. I think I went to Asda when it opened and brought like a smart pair of trousers and a shirt because I didn't have any like clothes to wear apart from like jeans and a t-shirt. But luckily I did have my camera gear on me. I don't know why, because I didn't need it for Dave's workshop. Um and I went to a wedding with him. And I'd always been quite nervous about getting close. It's like, if you're just going to stand next to people, they're just going to be very aware of you and you're going to ruin, you know, you're going to ruin people's moments just by being in their face. And this was only a small wedding. Like I say, I think there was like 30 or 35 guests, something like that. And during the drinks reception, I just watched Dave work and he was just standing next to people taking their picture. And I'm like, oh, you can just go and stand next to people and take their picture and it's fine. <laughs> but none of them were noticing. And it was only a small wedding. So it wasn't like it was like 100 people in like a really bustling atmosphere with a band playing and all of that kind of stuff where you can kind of get lost in the atmosphere of it all. It was a very quiet drinks reception. And he was just in and amongst everyone with, on the on the 35mm lens. And it was a real like light bulb moment of, oh, you literally, that's there's no secret to it that I haven't understood like the secret steps to like getting in close. There's no, there's no secrets that you literally just go and do it. You just go and stand next to people. And I went to my next wedding, which I had to wait two weeks to shoot my next wedding was, was an excruciating two weeks. I couldn't wait to like Mm. go and stand next to someone and take their picture. And I went to my next wedding and I shot 35, 85 and it was just like night day, my photography from what I've been doing before then was a completely different just by standing next to people just made such a difference to the photos and my photos went from standing on the edge of the wedding peering in to being in the wedding and my photos before that all the ones through sort of 2017 my photos looked like there was a nice wedding going on over there 
<laughs> over there there's a nice wedding going on and i'm over here photographing it from from the from the edges of the room or edges of the garden or whatever and the moment i went in with a 35 it was happening around me and the pictures immediately looked like i was there at the wedding and present there in all these moments i mean now i wouldn't want to put those pictures on my website now because obviously i've improved but at the time it was just this like wow look at look at me you know i look like a proper proper documentary wedding photographer and so from that point i was sold on zoo on primes and um i actually went to 25 mil because um the 35 mil i had was the little 2.8 on the sony the little tiny one which is a really lovely lens but it was coming into winter and you can't use a 2.8 and so i brought the 25 mil batis f2 because the only 35 mil one that was available was that huge 1.4 zeiss one which was massive and i like small gear so i brought the the 25 mil and that got um because i was learning to get close because obviously 25 mil so much wider i got even closer again and i spent 2018 2019 in like really close on 25 and that was kind of how i learned to be in tight to everything that was going on um but i'm back on 35 now because um i found that i was getting quite lazy on the 25 mil because obviously it's so wide everything is in everything is in your picture that if and felt like my work was kind of going downhill and i couldn't work out why and i realized it's because i was on the 25 mil what i was doing was saying oh the composition's in there somewhere i'll find it in the edit i'll crop in and find it and of course even if the composition is there, you're just giving yourself work to do in the editing stage by having to crop everything constantly. And actually what was happening was I was thinking, oh, composition's there somewhere, I'll find it later. But subconscious, um, subconsciously, I was thinking the moment's there and I'll find the moment later, which obviously you can't, like the moment's either there or it's not. Mm. So I kind of felt my work was going downhill a little bit. So I went back to 35 mil and that's tight enough compared to 25 that you really have to be switched on to the edges of your frame and like what's in the frame and what's out of the frame. And because that switched me on to the composition a lot more, it switched me on to the moments a lot more. And the minute I went back to 35 mil, my standard of work just kind of shot up straight away. So uh, yes, yeah, 35 mil all day on one camera. And then I have a second A9 that just I rotate between the 25 mil and the 85 mil, depending on what I need. Sometimes though, just mixing up as well is like you say, just just a bit refreshing, isn't it? Almost as well. Sometimes you just go a bit, a little yeah. bit wider, or a little bit tighter, and you know, you just just see what it does for your work, kind of thing. Sometimes you just get, like say, you just shoot the same yeah, lenses in a, year in year out. In it, a, it's nice. Yeah, I think if you're, it's a bit like the safe shot. Like I was saying before about if you're just taking the safe shot all the time, you're going to get quite bored of doing that. Like you need to challenge yourself and take the more interesting photos actually picking up another focal length is not a bad idea because it's just going to make you think a little bit differently. You're not going to be on autopilot quite as much. Um, so yes, I will still put the 25 mil on and go into a drinks reception sometimes and just kind of like, just check I'm not getting, getting tired of the same old 35 mil shot the whole time. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you kind of segued quite nicely for me there. So you mentioned obviously second shooting with David um, after that course and, yeah. and that, You've obviously done quite a lot of second shooting from like seeing you on socials this year. Yeah. What's your big takeaways from it? Like, what are you? Because for me, I, I'd love to do more second shooting, and it 
know, I've got the young kids now. It's kind of tricky because I already leave Sarah, obviously, with them for enough weekends. That it's hard to justify for less money to go and second shoot for other people. But I would love to do more of it because I think it must be fascinating. And you've second shot for, like, obviously, a lot of people who I, you know, people who've been on this podcast and, you know, people who I would deem as very, you know, very good documentary wedding photographers. So is it interesting seeing them work? Are you, like, learning a lot from that? What's what's your takeaways? Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. I because I, I've, I've done a bit more second shooting this year than I did last year. So I counted up um, all the second shooting work I've done and I've got two or three more in the diary still for this year. And by the end of this year, I will have second shot 83 times um, for 40 different photographers. Um, so that's a lot of different types of photographers to watch them shoot weddings and see how they work. And yeah, it's fascinating because I've shot for everyone from people like David Stubbs and um, Paul Rogers and Chelsea Canal and Phil Salisbury, who are like probably like hardcore documentary people, um, through to people who are kind of a mix of the two. And then to other people I've shot for who are just 100% like more kind of stage stuff. And yeah, it's just fascinating to see how people work. And it's it's fascinating to see some people not be confident, people I would expect to be confident about something like there's some people I know who are really good at flash and I would just expect them to walk into like a, a, like the evening reception and just go, well, clearly I need to put my flash guns here, here and here. And this will be an amazing flash setup because they just seem to be that good at it. And actually they walk in and they look at me and go, well, what do you think we should do with flash? And I'm like, why are you asking me? Like I'm the last person <laughs> on the planet. You should be asking for like tips on how to, to light something. And they get, they always get there in the end. Like they sure. have to play about with it, but it's interesting seeing people go through that and, people worrying about certain parts of the day of like worrying about like oh the, the, the top table is backlit and are we going to put flash on it are we going to go with natural light or there's a particular issue around where we're doing the confetti or just how to do the group shots or all the things that that you deal with at a wedding it's just quite nice seeing another photographer deal with them like it's not just me like I'm not the only person who like deals with this kind of stuff it's like it's everyone and it's even like some of the most experienced, well-respected people in the industry are still going through all the same things that we're going through. And all you see on Instagram is like the top like 1% of their best shots. You don't see all of the crap they took and didn't and cold. And you don't see all of the stuff on the wedding day, all of the stress that we all go through. And we all go kind of go through the same thing. Um, so that's that's fascinating. It's also it's easy to think in this industry that everyone's a documentary wedding photographer because so many people say they're documentary wedding photographers. And then when, and I've shot for someone a couple of times back in 2019 who spent the entirety of a one hour drinks reception doing portraits with the couple. It was a church wedding. A couple came out of church, confetti and group shots. All the group, all of the guests got into a couple of London buses. We went to the venue. Once we all got there, the main photographer took the couple off straight away and went into the grounds of the venue. And there was one hour window, I think it was an hour and a half window of drinks reception before they were called in for food. And that photographer took the couple off for an hour, but an hour long portraits. And I was there to photograph the drinks reception. Um, after an hour, the photographer came back with the couple and I thought the couple would then like mingle with everyone because they hadn't really spoken to anyone at this point. And the photographer came over to me and said, right, I'm going to take the bride and bridesmaids off to do their group shots. If you can take the groom and groomsmen off to do their group shots. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, 
you've done group shots like there was already like a groomsman and a bridesmaid group shot at church and it was half an hour of the bride with the girls and the groom with the guys doing like just posed photos and that photographer was obviously very confident in it and went off with the girls and I went off with the guys and I looked at them and I'm like I'll get you all stood in the line because that's how <laughs> I take group photos mm. and I looked over to where the main photographer was and like, all the girls were like throwing their bouquets in the air and doing all the poses and moving around and doing all of this stuff and they were like they're having a great time and I'm like stood there thinking well we've, I've stood them in a line I don't know what else to do mm. and I've got another 25 minutes to kill so I kind of said to the guys like I don't know what to do. Have you got any ideas? And the guys kind of looked at me and goes, we don't know what to do either. So they picked him up like a fish. You know, that thing where they lie across yeah, as yeah, a joke. Yeah, classic. And I did, I did a couple of other things, but I was really struggling to, th to think what to do. And then yeah, half an hour is a long the meal time. Came. Like, yeah, half an hour. Yeah, like, I would really struggle to fill 10 minutes yeah, or five same. minutes even. And then we went through to the meal and I think it got to about half past six sort of time after the meal where the bride was talking to someone and I realized that is the first point all day the bride's actually had a conversation with one of her guests like she had a brief few hugs outside church and she had a brief conversation as she walked through the garden the drinks reception just saying hello to people but that was it it was like 6 30 and that was the first time she'd had a conversation with someone and it's really easy to think particularly like I'm a member of you're a member of Nine Dots as well. Like yeah. the people I associate with in the industry, people who are members of photographers keeping it real, and this is reportage, if I'm allowed to say that word. <laughs> yeah. And people who go to um people who go to, to um to Dublin to Doc Day, like there's obviously a huge overlap between those people and the Nine Dots people. And most people in there are either documentary or Low, light on portraits and heavy on moments so you you kind of think that's where the whole industry is but you're only seeing a small section of it actually there's a whole other market which is very traditional and so that's probably been the most fascinating thing about so much second shooting is just seeing different sections of the market how different people are doing things and how how unique everyone's doing stuff like everyone's very it's it's a very individual industry every even two documentary photographers will have their own approach to how they do things which is very different from how another documentary photographer is doing it and that that becomes very apparent when you just see the like the workings of it behind the scenes you know obviously i talk to a lot of photographers and i'll sort of you know if i'm going to interview someone on the podcast or whatever i'll deep dive into their website a bit and stuff but there's only so much i see and like say for the majority of people you're just seeing like say there's big shots on instagram maybe what they blog from a wedding like 20 or 30 shots that's it so obviously like a lot of people i put way up there on like you know as like they're incredible like i can't imagine you know how they do it or whatever so just yeah just seeing them work on a day is interesting i bet it's probably quite nice to see that actually most of us are fairly you know doing things pretty similarly obviously there's gonna be different budgets of weddings so that's gonna change things but yeah on the whole it's like actually a lot of us struggle with certain things or a lot of us are not always like you say you don't just go in and you're smashing everything because it's like you yeah. know there's always that yeah so I, I think when good. there are definitely certain photographers who have got a great reputation who have got an amazing portfolio and you just think oh, it must be so easy for them just to turn up and to, to do that. And like, it's, it's, that's not the truth of it for anyone. I would imagine. Mm. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. We can mention this is repetitive. I, I interviewed Alan 
uh, this week, actually. Yes, yeah, of course you did. It's yeah. on the podcast, right, okay. so yeah, it's fine. We're friends. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, really... things, things have definitely changed on that front since you took over, which is nice. Yeah, we've mended the bridges. It's, it's all good. What, um, <laughs> what t- do you have any tips? And so for people looking, because I know it's, it's quite common and like you say, I'd love to do more and hopefully, um, you know, the kids would get a bit older and have a bit more time and stuff like um, I'll, you know, like to do a bit more second shooting. But there's a lot of people, especially people who are starting out, you know, it's a big thing for them. They, you know, a lot of people really want a second shoot. And you see it in the Facebook groups, don't you, where like, I need a second shoot and there's like 50 million replies on there. Loads of people. If I, yeah. sometimes now I've got to the point where probably similar to you, where I can, I'll kind of reach out. I very, I don't use seconds often, but when I do, like I'll reach out to people who I know, like yourself, for example, or like Patrick Mateer, for example, is second shooting for me late this month, which is going to be really interesting. But so yeah, I just, I'll reach out to people who I know, obviously who I work, they love, or I just want to work with them out of interest and stuff. And, um, so it's a bit different now, but when I did used to post in some of the like second shooter groups, you know, I'd get people be messaging me, ringing me even like people are so desperate. It's like, do you have advice for people who like want to second shoot a bit more? Like what, what can they do to try and stand out or to try and actually get second shooting jobs? Yeah. So I'd say my second shooting, like my second shooting career has probably been in two halves. So I started second shooting a lot in 2019 because in 2019 I had was trying to move out of the budget market into the the middle market and um my marketing in 2018 was pretty bad because i was still basically marketing myself in all the places i've marketed at the budget level mm-hmm. not realizing that i was marketing just at budget people in those places it wasn't marketing at everyone and i was just catching the budget people so i was trying to market to the middle market in the budget area and my i went into 2019 with something like nine weddings or something like that i needed to second shoot because i needed to to earn the money that was like the main reason for doing it back then i did have a part-time job but the part-time job was supposed to be supplementing like more than nine weddings so i needed more of an income so that was basically why i got into it and all i did was i joined every second shooter group on facebook i could find and i turned the notifications on so that i got a notification every time anyone posted i got a notification for it to make sure i was one of the first people to post because that does matter if you're the 35th person to post they're not looking at your stuff yeah. um they're going to look at the few first few that come in so i made sure i was at the top and i think the other thing that helped for me over everyone else was the fact that my website was a documentary website i spoke to a few photographers who sort of basically booked me because they're like well everyone else's websites is just portraits and group shots and you're not going to be doing portraits and group shots as a second shooter you're there to do candid shots basically you've got to cover groom prep or one of the bride preps if it's a same-sex wedding but you're going to do what prep on your own so that you have to nail that and people have to be confident that you can solo shoot groom prep and probably for a lot of people putting themselves down for second shooting they're just showing portraits and might not look too experienced so like can i actually trust them to go and do a groom prep on their own and then or if all if all they've got is portraits and group shots on their website, there's no examples of what they actually want from them, which is can extra candid shots. So I think I stand stood out because my website was documentary based. So what I would suggest to people to do is to have a, a page on your website, a hidden page for second shooting. And when someone posts for a second shooter, post the link to that page, which is what I do now. I have a dedicated second shooter page on my website because I've got such a huge breadth of second shooter work. I actually want to show people my second shooter work rather than because they could just look at my portfolio and go, well, that's all his best stuff from his weddings. 
I want you to show what I can do as a second shooter. And there's things in there like in 2019, I did quite well with the Photographers Keeping It Real awards and I got quite high in the standings. I'd say at least a third, maybe a half of my images were taken as a second shooter. So I wanted to show, and I've got a couple of Fearless Awards that were taken while second shooting. So I've got them with the little award badges on them to, sh to show what I can do as a second shooter. So if you have a dedicated second shooter page that hasn't got any kind of portraits or anything and just have lots of groom prep and just like nice candid stuff of people like during the drinks reception to show you can do that kind of work, um, that'll immediately like elevate you against everyone else's websites that's just portraits and group shots and stuff like that. Um, so 2019, a second shot, very rarely did I second shoot for someone I actually knew. It was all people that I just met via these Facebook groups. Um, the second shooting I've been doing this year has all been for people that I know via Nine Dots, and it's all from networking. It's all from going to the Nine Dots gathering or meeting people at the, um, again, if I can say it, that this is Reptile's Christmas party, like <laughs> going and meeting people there or going to Doc Day and just meeting people. You, I mean, you said it yourself. If you need a second shooter, the first person you're going to ask is someone you know because you've got to spend the day with this person. So you want to know you're happy to hang out with them for the day and you probably know their work pretty well and know what they can do. Um, and so all of the stuff I've done this year, I haven't like advertised myself. I haven't been in any of the second shooter groups looking for second shooter work. It's just been people have said, so like I second shot for Chelsea um, and, she, and I was talking to her and she's like, I need a second shooter for this wedding in Kent, which is obviously a long way for her, a bit closer for me. And I was free on that Saturday. And so that's how I kind of booked that one up. And my feeling is sat a free Saturday is no good to me. If I'm not shooting a wedding, I've got nothing to do on that Saturday. I've not got kids. So I've not got that whole kind of family commitment. Um, and I'm at an age now where all of my friends have kids. So their Saturdays are taken up with being parents. So if I have a Saturday to myself, it's just another work day effectively. I'm just working or, you know, if I can take go and do something I'd rather have a day off in the week when it's quieter so if there's an opportunity for you know 300 quid 350 quid for a bit of second shooting I'd rather go and do that and I enjoy shooting as I, I mean as I said right at the start came to photography quite late in life and I found something I've got a passion for that I love doing and Covid killed me like that year that 2020 was supposed to be the first year that I did this as a full-time job it was I'd said in 2019 mm -hmm. i had a difficult year because i wasn't booking and in 2019 i changed my marketing and i got a full year for 2020 and it was going to be my first full-time year of doing wedding photography which is what i've been kind of building up to and then having that 18 month break where i couldn't shoot weddings which i really struggled with 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 that kind of like from a mental health point of view it was terrible and now i'm now I can do it again. I just want to do it. I just I'd second shoot as much as I can because I just enjoy taking pictures of people. You know, someone wants to pay me 300 quid to come and tag along at a wedding. I'm there. I mean, obviously the numbers you've been doing is, is incredible. So it's, and it can only be a good thing just in terms of learning and stuff anyway. Like you say, the more you shoot, the more you're learning yeah. anyway. And yeah. You're and picking up things off different people, but that volume of, of work, which would be hard to do that many like of your own weddings, just purely like say the logistics and admin involved, whereas with second shooting, it's a bit less of that. You haven't got to speak to the couples and yeah. worry about a lot of that. So it's like you're kind of getting that benefit of, of just shooting all like week in, week out, shooting tons of weddings. And yeah, it can only be a good, well, I would think only be a good thing, probably tired, but uh, mostly good yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I mean, 
the good thing about it in 2019 was it kept me working. It kept me going to weddings. It meant when I produced my 2019 end of year blog, it wasn't just, you know, a rather pathetic showing of the few weddings I'd done. It was I had a lot to, to put in it to make it look like I was a lot busier than I really was. And and this year, although it's less essential that I'm doing it, it's still something I enjoy doing. And you, you do learn a lot. Like it was a really interesting, when I shot with Chelsea, we shot a wedding. I didn't really need to be there. It was only 35 guests, 40 guests. It was quite a small wedding in a back garden in a marquee. And I didn't really need to be there. And I think from what Chelsea was saying, they only asked for a second shooter because they had the money and the budget to just keep spending it on stuff. And she's like, I could have just charged them the extra like 500 quid just as her flat rate. Mm-hmm. And they probably wouldn't have asked for the second shooter. It was just there to spend. So I was very much a spare part of this wedding. On When she was on the train on the way home, she was culling my images um, the next day and she sent a picture of one of my pictures and a picture of one of her pictures and they were almost the same picture because we'd just been looking at the same thing. It was a pair of shoes that someone had discarded on the side. I often, I love pictures of stuff that's just been left lying around at weddings because I like the fact that at one point, the fact that this looked neat and tidy and clean and smart for the wedding was really important. And like by half past four, it's like, I can't be bothered with this anymore. And it's just thrown <laughs> around all over the ground and particularly discarded shoes. And I often think like, what are you doing taking pictures of random shoes on the ground? That's a, like, are these actually worthwhile pictures? And I and she sent me this picture of these pair of shoes I'd taken and then took me her sent me her version of that picture. And it was like, oh, it's not just me. It's like other people are doing this kind of stuff as well. Um, and so seeing that other people kind of think your way and appreciate the kind of more unusual stuff as well is nice because it's quite empowering. Like I am doing the right thing by taking the more unusual stuff. Like I was saying before about it's very personal when you take a picture that's not just a standard shot. It's very, it's a very personal thing. And if people don't like it, it's a very personal thing. They're saying they don't like, like they don't like the way you are looking at something. So when you get that, appreciation from someone it's like oh no i'm doing i'm doing the right thing by by doing things the way i'm doing if you if you've got time we'll chat briefly about awards because um and then just jump in for a bit of men yeah. stuff is that all right have you got i feel like we've been on yeah no i've got about... time don't worry that's absolutely fine cool cool, cool. yeah it's one because you've yeah. again you've said it's like we've practiced this but you've said segued quite nicely because you mentioned awards there and you know getting some for second shooting mm-hmm. stuff and showcasing them so yeah you did obviously did really well with pkr i know you've done well with TIR and stuff and Fearless and probably loads of other ones as well. The nine dots you got, you were photographer of the year last year, right with that one. So, so yeah, like you've obviously done really, really well with the awards. What's, are you like, are you organize, you're going to be the first person I ever asked this that's actually organized of entering awards or are you same as everyone where it's quite last minute still? Or do you have like a process? What, what's your thoughts with, you know, entering awards in general, I guess. Am I organised with awards? Probably not as organized as I should be. Um, I always enter last minute. Like I always get the email mm-hmm. saying, the awards close in like a day and I'm like, and I, I put it, I've got to the point of putting it in my calendar where like PKR awards today. And then I know I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think awards are important. I think shooting for yourself is important. And I think they kind of tie into each other in that way because it's the more interesting types of photos that win awards. It's not the bog standard images that, that win photo, uh, that win awards. So it's, it's difficult because you're very much putting yourself out there again because the award-winning photos are the ones where you're probably risking something a little bit and showing more of your personality within your, your imagery. So when you don't win an award with an image, it's a little bit of a diss on you again. I think that's an impo- that that's I think that's important for people to kind of realise is that that's probably why they're holding back 
sometimes is because they find it difficult to kind of put themselves out there in that way um and so i think awards are important to try and showcase your best work and i think a lot of the time like i the first award winning image i ever got was a pair of shoes with some grass stuck in the heels and i was second shooting when i took that um image actually i was third shooting at a wedding and i'm fairly certain that image did not make the album like I don't know because again not my couple but I'm fairly certain like when the bride saw that they weren't her shoes they were just some random guest so like on the um, they're on the dance floor or something right and there's like high heels yeah. and they got the grass stuck in them I know the one yeah it's really good that was like a, a bit of a breakthrough moment for me because I was third shooting at a big Jewish wedding with uh, Paul Rogers do you know Paul yeah 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 um he'd invite he'd, in, he'd invited me to this wedding because I'd got no Jewish wedding experience and he didn't know me he'd never met me but he just said I've got a second shooter. I don't need a third shooter, but I'm not paying you. But if you want to come along and just experience this large 300 guest Jewish wedding that's in this marquee in this house in Oxfordshire, feel free to come along and you can use the images. And because I was not needed, it just meant I could spend the day really concentrating on crafting documentary images. I wasn't required to do anything else. It was really helpful. This was sort of May of 2018. And I took two images within 10 minutes of each other that were my first two award-winning images. So there's, it was a Jewish wedding. So they were doing the, I don't remember what it's called, the Hoya, the, the sheep toss thing. Yeah. So when everyone piles into the marquee after the drinks reception before the meal, they do the Hoya before everyone sits down. So everyone goes in, finds their seats, and then the women form one circle and the men form another circle. And then there's the, the segregated dancing. I was walking up the steps into the marquee and at my eye line were these heels with the grass stuck in them. And I liked the storytelling element of this because it was a boiling hot day. It was the only day my cameras had ever overheated. It was that hot, um, but it had rained overnight. So the grass was a little bit soggy. So the, the grass being stuck in them was a little bit of a sort of storytelling thing. And I thought I'll get a picture of that as she's going up the steps. And then as I got my camera up, she sort of moved off and I couldn't get the shot. So I had to follow her and her friend who she was with, table seating plan, then to their table to put their handbags down. Then, to, And I was trying to get this picture and I couldn't and I felt a bit weird trying to like get down <laughs> to get the picture of these shoes. And they, she stood in the circle and then that's when I got the picture. And that was like a big like moment for me to, 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 to take that. It's like, this is what I've been trying to do for the past like year and a bit is take these kind of pictures. And it was helpful. Again, another good reason for second shooting was I had the freedom to do that. If I was the primary shooter at that wedding, Paul was off doing portraits at that point because he did a little 10 minute portrait session with the couple whilst everyone was filing in. If I'd been the primary shooter at that wedding, I would not have been able to get that. But because, because I was second shooting, it just gave me license to kind of like, I don't need to take any photos right now. So I can dedicate five minutes to trying to get this image. And when it pulls off, you know, it's a very satisfying thing to to sort of spend time trying to craft something and for it, for it to sort of pay off. Sort of tips for awards. I think what people are looking, I've never judged an award round. So I can't give, I can't tell you what judges are looking for because I've never been a judge. But I think what people are looking for is something unusual that they've not seen before. And the problem with wedding photography is that a lot of it is the same shit over and over again. Bride walks down aisle with her dad, couple stands there and gets married. Bride and husband, you know, walk back down aisle, people walk through confetti. It's very easy to photograph weddings on autopilot and just photograph the same stuff over and over again. And so the trick is to, to see in between all of those moments to try and pick out 
all of the in-between bits that are unique to that wedding and not just the same stuff that you've seen every time. Um, and all of my awards that I've got are all those kind of images. I don't think I've got anything that's like a, I think I've maybe got one confetti shot where someone was having the, the whole basket dumped over them. And it's, but I think that's it. I think everything else is like an unusual moment that you wouldn't expect to see. And you can only take those pictures if you're sort of constantly alert to all of the little in-between stuff. Um, so it's on, a, on the day, it's a case of being alert to all of the in-between stuff that's happening. And then when you're curating your images for awards, it's those images that people want to see. Um, I've heard from people who judge awards before, they'll say like, you know, you would be looking through the, all the images and it's like, oh, here comes another dad in a doorway looking at a woman in a dress. And it's just like the same picture every time. And it's like, you can't give that an award unless it's particularly remarkable because then you'd have to give them all an award. And then you can't just give everything an award just because it's a nice moment between, you know, a dad and a daughter or something like that. Um, so it's it's really looking for like unique moments that you've not seen before. Um, and the only way you can take those pictures is by being alert all day to all the little things that are happening and not just the big moments that are happening. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's really hard because like you say, we all, well, a lot of weddings have confetti. So to get something that's yeah. standout is, is very difficult. Whereas like you say, when it's yeah. random little moments that it's still hard to see and to, you know, to, to um, get right, obviously, and like yeah. the composition has to be good and stuff, but at least it's, it's going to stand out a little bit. So it's already given you a bit of a chance. Whereas yeah, a lot of the, like say first looks and confetti are, are always going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's not a great photo or the couple aren't going to love yeah. it, obviously, but it's, it's just yeah. for awards. It's, think- it's, it's, it's tough. I've had that with when I've spoken to people about awards before where they think like if it's not an award-winning photo it's like a bad photo like it's not at all like I've 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 shot weddings where the couple have loved their pictures and to them they're a really special set of pictures there's no award-winning images in there at all but to them the safe shots aren't safe shots they're really great images of them and their family and their friends and the people they care about on their wedding day like we look at them as safe shots but you know, if I if I took a picture of of your kids, that's, that as a photographer would say is an, is a safe shot, you wouldn't look. You'd be oh, that's a nice picture of my kids. You'd see it on that. You see, you take it on that level, not on a photographer's kind of like oh, it's a bit safe kind of thing. Um, so it doesn't mean that images are bad images. It's just to win an award, it's just got to be something a little bit more unusual. Obviously, you've got to have like composition, moment, and light, mm-hmm. and all of those kind of things as well but it just needs to be something that people haven't seen before. If you think I've seen that moment before, it's probably not an award-winning image. Solid advice, mate. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Like some loads of good stuff in there. So I hope, um, yeah, I hope everyone listens, enjoyed it. We're going to just jump on for a little bit. We'll talk a little bit for some uh, members content about, um, you know, marketing and the usual stuff, bit of business and just have a bit more of an in-depth chat. So if you are a member of photographers, keeping it real and you are listening on your link, then yeah, please um obviously stay tuned for that if you're not then just thanks for listening and i hope uh yeah i hope you enjoyed it where's a link obviously to everything every photographer we've mentioned i'll link below i'll link to your website obviously tom and your instagram and stuff and um yeah people just go and go and check out tom's works it's amazing and um thanks so much for your time mate appreciate it thank you yeah it's been fun